Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Jeff. I'm uh, part of the team and wear a few different hats uh, around here, and I'm super excited to be here and be able to share with you today. Uh, I do want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you had a, a fantastic weekend with family and friends and uh, just a kind of a day off to reflect. Uh, for many, though, uh, this weekend marks the official kickoff of the Christmas season. Like, it's official, right? So we can be excited about that. Um, so I'm just curious to, to learn a little bit about how you spent your weekend uh, in the room. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of activities, things like that going on. So by show of hands, how many of you participated in that little thing on Friday called Black Friday? Anyone? Anyone? All right. There's a few of you that are hardcore. Did anybody, I love that Pastor Aaron is hooting and hollering over here. Did anybody actually finish all of their Christmas shopping on Black Friday? Anyone admit to that? Oh, a couple of you. Yes. That is, that is well done. Well played. Uh, how many of you either went out and cut down or put up a Christmas tree this weekend? All right. Definitely more hands for that one. Uh, and the last question, anyone actually either turn on or put up their Christmas lights, or at least some of them? Oh, yes, yes, okay, there's some, some more shouts uh, for that. Uh, so truth be told, I want to let you know a little secret into my world. I absolutely love Christmas. If uh, we could celebrate Christmas all year round, I would be in uh, for that. If I could keep my Christmas lights all year round up, that would be awesome too, but I don't. Um, and uh, Clark W. Griswold is, uh, is definitely my hero when it comes to like Christmas exterior illumination. Uh, like I strive uh, to be like that. And so, uh, so it's a big deal uh, for us like putting up the Christmas lights. But I wanted to let you know there's a few rules when it comes to Christmas lights. I don't know if you knew this, but there's some rules uh, to follow. And uh, rule number one is uh, it is absolutely okay to put up the Christmas lights on your house anytime after Halloween. So anytime in November, you can start putting up the, my personal preference is the first like nice weekend when it's good weather, because who wants to do it in the rain like a day like today? Uh, so the first nice uh, weekend uh, in November is usually when uh, I get started. Now I'll just let you know, uh, you might get a few looks from your neighbors and a few comments, um, but it is perfectly acceptable to begin after Halloween. Rule number two, though, is uh, if you choose to do that, that's totally cool, but you may not turn them on until Thanksgiving night uh, or sometime after that. Uh, it used to be until COVID hit that we only had two rules, uh, but now we have a third rule, and third rule, because of pandemic, because of everything that we've been through, if it makes you happy to turn your lights on early, you may go for it. That's okay. <clears throat> so... Uh, truth be told, my lights have been up for a week now. Uh, I actually had uh, a neighbor, uh, I don't know if it was a neighbor or somebody driving by. We live in a cul-de-sac. I'm getting out of my car and my lights were on and uh, he rolled down his window and he shouts out, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. I'm like, COVID, so uh, it's, it's early. Uh, one of the things that I love a whole lot is uh, I get to share this with my daughter. And so every year she helps me like decorate for Christmas. It's one of the things we get to do together. And then when we're all done, uh, it's been tradition that we uh, take a picture in front of the tree in front of our house. And so this is our picture this year uh, in front of our house. So she's getting bigger now. Her name is Destiny. <clears throat> uh, and then here's a picture of our house all lit up for, for Christmas. So that's how we celebrate at the Boxel house. <clears throat> 
but regardless of where you land on uh, Christmas lights and all that kind of stuff, I truly hope that you had a, a blessed Thanksgiving uh, this year. I, I love Thanksgiving because it is a, an opportunity for us just to kind of hit pause for a day or two, right, in the midst of all of the chaos. And it's an opportunity for us to just to gather with people that are close to us, family and friends, and for us just to have a day to kind of slow down and to reflect on the things that we are truly thankful for. Because we don't do that very well, especially in our culture today. We tend to live in a very fast-paced culture that is very consumer-oriented. Like we gotta achieve more, we gotta, we gotta get more, and we don't take a lot of time to really slow down and be thankful for the things uh, that we have. And one of the things, though, that I realize is there's something about thankfulness that's good for our hearts and our souls. And Pastor Aaron talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. In fact, the Bible tells us that having this posture of thankfulness is actually part of God's will for our lives. And I believe that God desires for us to be the kind of people that are joy-filled, prayer-dependent, and a thankful people. And so I'm wondering if you've ever asked the question, uh, what is it that God wants for my life? Another way you might ask that is like, what is God's will for me? I'll bet that that's a common question uh, that get asked a lot of, from God. My guess is a lot of you have really wrestled uh, with that question. Is like, what is it that God wants for my life? What is his will uh, for me? And uh, I think sometimes we tend to make that question really uh, complicated, right? It's like we were looking for a complicated, it's gotta be some big uh, answer. And I believe absolutely that God calls uh, each of us to individual things that are unique and specific to us. But there's some aspects of like God's will, of what he wants for us that actually apply to all of us who are followers of Jesus. And so today what I wanna do is just take a look at a few verses in the Bible found in 1 Thessalonians chapter five to, to really address that question. What is it that God wants for us, all of us, uh, in, in how we should live? And so if you have a Bible or you wanna turn there, you can mark your place in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter five. Uh, you find that this passage that we're looking at, it comes at the very end of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian uh, church. And uh, what Paul had been doing is having a conversation or a discussion on uh, Jesus's return, that uh, when Jesus is returned and then he's given directions for like, how are we supposed to live as we wait for Jesus to return? And uh, why is that then relevant for us? Well, because just like the Thessalonian church, we as followers of Jesus are waiting one day for Jesus's return. And so Paul's uh, instructions are just as relevant to us as they were uh, to the Thessalonian church. And so if you're uh, following along, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verses 16 through 18, and it says this, uh, try to be joyful, pray sometimes, and be thankful when things go well. Oh wait, is that, you're wondering what translation am I reading, right? <clears throat> That's not what it says, does it? This is what it says. It says, always be joyful, never stop praying, and be thankful in all circumstances. Now check this out. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So what is it that God wants for our life? What is God's will for our life? Well, this passage gives us three very practical uh, things, and we're gonna dive in uh, to that and spend our time there together today. The first one is that God wants you to experience a consistent joy. He wants you to experience a consistent joy. Paul says to always, 
always be joyful. Now, I don't know about you, when you read that word always, that sounds daunting, right? I mean, that sounds like a really uh, tall order. And like, what does that mean to like always walk around, you know, with a sense of joy? And for some of you, you might picture something like this. <clears throat> Buddy the Elf, Pastor Aaron, like, <clears throat> uh, you know, so, so what does that look like? And then uh, sometimes I think also uh, joy and happiness uh, get confused with each other, right? And so what is happiness? Well, happiness is something that is temporary. It's short-lived. Uh, and happiness is very dependent upon like the circumstances around us. Uh, for instance, here's some things in my world that make me happy. I absolutely, uh, absolutely love the Portland Trailblazers. And so whenever the Trailblazers win, I'm pretty happy. Uh, when they lose, I'm very unhappy. And last season was rough. So I'm uh, more happy this season than last season. Uh, I believe Disneyland is absolutely the happiest place on earth. And so, uh, <clears throat> so when uh, you enter the gates of Disneyland, it's like a super happy day. When you're leaving uh, Disneyland, uh, a little unhappy. And for some of you, you experienced this just yesterday. Uh, for those of you that are fans of the Oregon Ducks, you were happy for three quarters. For three quarters, you were happy. And uh, those of you uh, who are Beaver fans, you were happy at the end of the game, right? So, <clears throat> but that's how happiness works. It's, it's temporary, it's short-lived, and it depends on like, the circumstances around us. Joy, however, joy is something that is deeper. It's deeper, and it's long-lasting, and joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is dependent on uh, internal uh, trust, and joy is something that comes, it's given birth out of a flourishing relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's something that's able to withstand even the most difficult of circumstances that we might face. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 1611 says uh, this, you make known, he's talking about God, saying, God, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. If you were to underline a phrase in there, that would be it. In your presence, it says, there is fullness of joy, because that's how joy works. Joy is the result of experiencing the very presence of God. Theologian S.D. Gordon says that joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. In other words, when circumstances are good, that's what breeds happiness. Joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only joy gives that joy. Only Jesus gives that joy. And he had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. And you see what joy is, is it flows out of a relationship with Jesus. Joy is anchored in Jesus, and it transcends even the most difficult of circumstances we may find ourselves in. There's a passage I want to share in Habakkuk. We don't talk about Habakkuk very often. Like it's a little-known kind of part of the Old Testament in the Bible. Um, but there's a cool passage that really sums this up in Habakkuk chapter 3. It says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. In other words, even though life seems like it's falling apart all around you. 
I mean, look what he's saying. He's saying like the fig trees, like they have no blossoms. There's no figs on the trees. There's no grapes on the vines. There's nothing in the crops. The, the fields are empty. The cattle have died. The barns are empty. It's like, this is a very bad, no good, terrible day, right? And, or season of life. And he says, even though it feels like the world around you is falling apart, then he says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation because the sovereign God is my strength and he makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Now, how could Habakkuk claim that kind of joy in the midst of all of the turmoil that is happening around him? Well, where's his focus? Where are his thoughts? You see, his thoughts are on God as the source of his salvation. His thoughts are on God as one who is sovereign, who's in control. His thoughts are on God as the source of his strength and his comfort. And God is the source of his salvation, and it's the foundation in which he stands on. And it's God's, in God's presence, his very presence, that he finds joy. I want to tell you a story of a woman that we met in a recent trip to uh, Jordan. Her name is uh, Samira, and you can put her picture up there. Uh, when we took a team to Jordan, we spent um, a couple days with a Baptist church that was doing incredible ministry in a town called Zarka. Uh, they, were, they have uh, decided that as a church, they're going to serve the refugee community. And they started a health clinic that has grown and now serves 2,500 people a month. And uh, Samira here is one of the recipients of that. And I want you to look at the picture, and uh, you can see, I don't know if you could tell, the picture doesn't really do justice, but you could just see her smile. And it, literally, her smile lights up a room as soon as she walks in. But I want you to hear her story. Samira is 54 years old. She's the mother of three daughters and two sons, and she's married to the handsome gentleman that you see in that picture. Uh, she was a Muslim who was living in Syria. Her and her family fled Syria during the war in 2013 on buses and that took them to the Jordanian border. And they fled Syria because they were afraid for their life and they were especially afraid for uh, her daughter that they feared was going to be raped as a group was trying to kidnap her. They landed when they came to Jordan in, uh, it's a big refugee camp in Mafrak that's one of the largest in the world. And later they were able to find housing outside of the camp uh, with their daughter. And what you need to know is even though as a refugee you can find safe housing, that uh, housing is one thing, it's very limited in your ability to earn a, a living and uh, make a living. It's even more difficult for you if you're older. And uh, Samira's husband was not allowed to work because he's 65 years old. So what does he do? He collects discarded bread, cans, and plastic out of the garbage in order to resell it for their family. And he does this despite facing some incredible health challenges. Samira herself uh, faces some pretty debilitating health challenges that prevents her from being able to work for the family, even though she would like to. Samira heard about the health clinic from the church, which is called Mercy Health Clinic, uh, from her daughter, uh, because her daughter started going to the church there because she was invited by her manager from her work that she was working at. And the clinic was able to help both Samira and her husband uh, by uh, providing a surgery that he needed, and uh, as well as medical care for her to help with some of the medical challenges. 
But probably the most important thing that the church uh, team and the clinic team was able to do is they began to have conversations with Samira and her family about Jesus. And through some careful uh, conversations, uh, eventually the family came to know the Lord, put their faith in Jesus. First through the daughter, who was part of the church, and then Samira and the rest of her family followed suit. And the entire family uh, has been baptized and is now serving and part of the church on a regular basis. Now, what I want you to hear is, despite all of that that's gone on, her circumstances have not changed. They're still in, uh, trying to figure out housing. They still are not able to work and make a living. They still are facing the health challenges. None of that has changed. But what Samira has found, and what you see in her face, is that there's a joy of the Lord that is in her that just, she cannot stop smiling. And when you talk to her, it's because of what God is doing in her life and her family. And you see, that's what joy looks like. It doesn't matter, it goes beyond our circumstances. So the question that I have for you this morning is, how is your joy? How is your joy? And if you're, you feel like you you're came in today and you're just wrestling maybe with, with a sense of joy, is like where then is your focus? Is your focus on the circumstances and the difficulties and the challenges around you or is your focus on things of God? Is your heart on Jesus? My prayer for us as a church, for you this morning, would be Paul's prayer that he prayed in Romans 15, 13 that says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with a confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe that God wants us, his desire for us is that we would choose to live with a consistent joy because of our spending time in the presence of God. The second thing that this passage teaches us that God's will is for us is that we would remain connected to him in prayer. And so as we think about prayer, I think how we approach God in prayer depends in large part to how we view God, how we see God. And maybe, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but like, what are your thoughts about God? And there's a lot of different views out there, right? Do you see God as, as God as maybe being a loving father who's actually cares about your life and is present in your life and, and wants a relationship with you? Or do you see God maybe as being like distant? He's off in the cosmos somewhere and he's just sort of got everything spinning. He's just sitting back and watching to see what happens, but he's uninvolved. Or maybe you have a view of God that, that he's like a cosmic judge or a police officer. and He's just looking to catch you doing something wrong and so he could punish you. And either one of those would kind of keep us sort of at a distance from God. Or maybe we view God as the cosmic Santa Claus where we just approach with our like, hopes and our dreams and our Christmas wish list and, hope, and believe that God is just supposed to grant us everything that we want. And you see, how we view God impacts the way we approach God. And so here's how the Bible describes God. The Bible says that God is love. In his core, in his essence of who he is, God is love. He's the very definition of love. And he demonstrated that love when he gave us his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, took the punishment for your sin and my sin so that we might have a restored relationship with God. The Bible also says that God is generous towards us. 
The Bible tells us that God is good, that there's no evil in him, there's no harm in him. He's not out to harm you. The Bible tells us that God is the giver of life, uh, that God is the giver of all good gifts. And the Bible also tells us things like God is sovereign, which means he is in control of all things, that God is just and God is uh, holy. And the Bible tells us that God is able somehow to hold all of the cares and the concerns of the world in his hands. And it says that he is in all things and above all things, and it tells us so much more than that. And you see, when we're able to have, I think, lift our thinking and have a, a big view of God, it changes the way we approach God. Psalm 66, 16 through 20 says, come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. He said, I, for I, pray, I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke, and if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Do you see what he did? He said, as I approached God, I brought all my concerns to him, and I praised him, and then I confessed all of the things in my, that were wrong in my heart to him. And if I had not done that, then God would not have listened, but it says, but God did listen, and he paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love for me. And what I want you to hear this morning is that when we pray, when we approach God, when we come to God, he is listening to you. He is not ignoring you, that he hears you. He hears your prayers. He's listening to your prayers. And prayer is how you and I remain connected, how we remain close in relationship to God. But notice in, in the passage in Thessalonians, it says to never stop praying. And what does that mean? Because that sounds exhausting. I mean, it might even sound impossible. I mean, does that mean that we just, you know, we gotta quit our jobs, clear our calendars, and join a monastery where we can just be quiet and pray like all day long? But I think the truth is when you read um, the Bible, you see that God wants us to do more than pray, right? He calls us to serve, to invest our lives in others, to live our life, to care about uh, people, and so much more than that. So what does it mean to never stop praying? Well, I wonder if you've ever like prayed for something. You felt like, hey, I'm just, I'm, I've been praying for something that's a concern for a long time, and you feel like there just isn't an answer. And you just get tired of praying and you feel like, man, I just, I just need to give up because I don't know if anyone's out there. You think maybe like God isn't listening or nothing is changing and God's not responding, so maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's, he doesn't hear you or, or maybe there's nobody out there. And so you just stop. And maybe days go by and weeks go by and you haven't even given God a thought, let alone spent time talking with him. And what I think Paul is is communicating here is don't stop. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Keep seeking. Keep pressing in. Keep trusting God. And I believe it's what Paul wants to tell you and I today is he's communicating today. It's like God is telling us, don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hang in there. Keep going. Keep talking to me. Keep seeking. Keep pursuing me. Keep going. And God is saying, I'm still listening, and I still care, and I still hear every time you come to me. You see, persisting in prayer requires us to remember who God is and what God is like. And prayer is worthwhile for us, even if we feel like things aren't changing. 
Because we're not praying to like the cosmic Santa Claus in the sky. We're praying to the God of the universe who knows way more about whatever it is you're going through than you do. And he knows way more about your life and what you need than we do. And he cares very much about the details of your life. And prayer is a conversation with the sovereign God of the universe. And he hears you and he's listening. So David, Pastor David, a few weeks ago, challenged us with this idea of prayer. He, he challenged us with the thought of like setting aside time each day, like a, a specific time and place that we might spend time with God in prayer. And if you have not done that, I just wanna encourage you to consider that. When is it in your day or where in your day do you just set, a time, set aside time to say, God, I'm just, we are gonna have a conversation together. And once you have that time set, then you approach God. You bring your concerns to him and you praise him. You do what it talked about in the passage in Psalms. And if there's anything you need to confess, you bring that to God. And then you do, I think, what the hardest part of all is, and you have to take the time to listen, which means you just have to take a little bit of time to be quiet and to slow down and to allow God to actually speak. Because I think sometimes prayer for us tends to be one-sided, Right, We do all of the talking and, and God is doing all of the listening. And sometimes we just have to quiet down and say, God, okay, I'm listening. And we have to wait for him to speak. And for those of you maybe in the room today and you came in and you know you're in that place where you've just been praying for something for a long time and it just feels like you're not seeing any change. I just wanna say, man, you are not alone. I've been there. There's a couple things in my life that I feel I've been praying for for a long time and we just haven't seen the results or the change that we would like to see. You are not alone. But I wanna encourage you to don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep talking to God because it's the building blocks for relationship with God. So God wants us to live with a consistent joy he also wants us to remain connected to him in prayer. And then I think the third principle is very applicable given the weekend that we're uh, coming out of. But God wants you also to experience an unwavering thankfulness. An unwavering thankfulness. He says to give thanks in all circumstances. Now notice in the, the first two principles, we're more based on time and consistency, right? It says always be joyful, never stop praying. This one's a little different. This one's based on circumstances. And what do we know about circumstances? Like circumstances change. Sometimes circumstances are really good. Sometimes circumstances are bad. Sometimes circumstances are just very, very, very bad. And when circumstances are good, I think it's really easy for the like, thankfulness to just flow, right? I mean, when, when circumstances are going good, like you get a promotion, you get a raise, you get a new opportunity, you win a competition, you won the Super Bowl, like whatever uh, it is, like it's really easy to give thanks uh, to God. But what happens when circumstances are hard, disappointing, discouraging, or frustrating? Then I think it's really hard for us to find like thankfulness, you don't hear the loser of the Super Bowl giving thanks at the end. And you see, I think thankfulness, if you're anything like me, sometimes gets replaced in those moments with things like uh, discouragement, uh, complaining, or frustration. And what Paul is telling us is to be thankful, not just in the good circumstances, but to be thankful 
in all circumstances. And why is thankfulness even important to begin with? Well, studies actually uh, show that those who are consistently thankful actually experience better overall health. They experience um, better or improved mental health, improved physical health, uh, improved relationships with others, and improved resilience. And by the way, just to test that, can anyone think of anybody in your life who is a, uh, like an angry or grumpy, thankful person? <laughs> right? I mean, typically somebody who is consistently thankful like, and grumpy, like those two things don't go together. But I imagine that all of us could think of somebody in our life who is a unthankful and grumpy person, right? Because there's something that is soothing to our souls and to our hearts when we're thankful. But there's a spiritual component to thankfulness as well that's important for us to take note of. Because living with like a consistent thankfulness allows us, it increases our trust in God, it increases our, thanks, uh, our faith in Jesus, and it takes our eyes off of maybe what's going on around us and puts our eyes on Jesus. Thankfulness takes our eyes off of ourselves, off of our worries, off of the circumstances, and helps us to see God more clearly. Now, notice that it says to give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. In fact, Tony Evans uh, said it this way, uh, God says to give thanks in everything. That does not mean you need to give thanks for everything. You don't need to give thanks for the bad day, for the bad relationship, or being passed over at work, financial hardship, or whatever it is. You're not to give thanks for the difficulties, but rather in the difficulties. That is a very important distinction and one I think we often miss. Giving thanks in everything shows a heart of faith that God is bigger than the difficulties and that he can use them if you approach him with the right heart, spirit, for your good and for his glory. I wanna share with you another story uh, from someone we met in Jordan. This is Rakan. Uh, and uh, he is a handsome guy. Of all of the people that we met, there was something I felt like in my heart that just sort of connected uh, with this man. Uh, we met him in the same place at the uh, health clinic at the church. Rakan is a 58-year-old man. He is married, he has two kids, one son and one daughter. He uh, came to the Mercy Medical Clinic in need of an amputation of a toe and for treatment on some lacerations on his feet. Uh, Rakan suffers from some significant health issues, but he also suffers from some psychological struggles as well. You see, Rakan was arrested when living in Syria when the war broke out, and uh, he was arrested and then he was placed in an underground uh, cell where he was restrained and he was tortured for two months. After a ransom had been paid, then he was deported uh, to Jordan. That's when the Mercy medical team from the Zarka Church found him and they began to visit with him. And, and through some careful and caring conversations, Rakan came to the place where he said, I no longer believe in the Islamic faith because of what they had done to him. And so he was open to hearing about this Jesus and his love and mercy. And after many, many visits uh, from the team, Rakan finally put his faith in Jesus. And then he was asked to be, he asked to be baptized. 
And it's a great story of faith, but then not all of his family was excited. In fact, his son was not excited about his decision to become a Christian at all and caused a lot of struggles for Rakan. And uh, as the story goes, uh, not only like his son, but some of his extended family was so displeased with him for becoming a Christian that they physically attacked him. That they uh, beat him, they spat at him, they cursed at him. And when our team had the opportunity to meet him, he showed us the fresh bruises on his body. But the team from the church continues to meet with Rakan and to encourage him that God has not left him, that even in the midst of the difficulties, that God is there, that God is good, and God is with him. Many of Rakan's extended family deserted him because of his decision to put his faith in Jesus. But when we met with him, what stood out to me is like he had a genuine thankfulness, a genuine thankfulness to God that he found a hope in Jesus, that he found a community of people that cared for him and supported him. He goes to church every single week and is serving as part of the church community. There was just a genuine thankfulness. And how does that happen? How can you truly be thankful in a situation like that, even the bad ones? Well, we have to get our eyes off of the circumstances and we have to be able to see Jesus. We have to get our eyes on Jesus. And I believe that's what Rakan discovered. That's what Paul is challenging us to when he says to be thankful in all circumstances. Pastor Rick Warren says, in happy moments, we praise God. In difficult moments, we seek God. In quiet moments, we worship God. And in painful moments, we trust God. But in every moment, we thank God. As we close this morning, I wanna do something a little bit different that um, maybe we haven't done here for a while or for a long time. I'm gonna, uh, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And what I wanna do is I wanna put this into practice for us to just practice putting our eyes and our thoughts and, and our thinking on, on Jesus and, and on God and who he is. And I know that some of you maybe walked in today going through some just heavy circumstances and things that are difficult and challenging in your life. And so I just wanna encourage you as, as just in this moment for us to, to be able to take some time and just look beyond the circumstances and put our eyes on Jesus. So what we're gonna do is uh, we will stand just a moment. We're gonna read Psalm 136 together. Some of you maybe have read this for at Thanksgiving, uh, so it may be familiar. But what Psalm 36 is, is it's a psalm that talks about, it makes a statement about who God is. And then it reminds us of God's great love for us by repeating the, the phrase, uh, and your love endures forever. And what I wanna do is we're gonna stand and we're gonna read it together and I'm gonna read the statement about God and in your strongest voice that you have, I, together I want you to repeat the phrase, his love endures forever. And so we're gonna read this together and then we'll worship with one more song. So I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and stand. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone who does great wonders. 
who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Give thanks to the God of heaven. God, I am so thankful for our church. And God, we want to be a people, God, who live out 1 Thessalonians 5. God, that we would be a people that would live with a consistent joy, that we would be a dependent, God, and, and connected to you through prayer. And God, that we would be a thankful people in all circumstances. God, we're thankful for your great love for us. We're thankful for who you are, for your presence. And God, we just pray that you would help us to leave here today with our hearts and our eyes focused on you and not the things going on around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.